we can do it, Noel. I knew we could do it. It's a touching moment. This is the first time that I've actually seen you yeah. uh, since, well, I did see you um, on uh, Bob Nodal's uh, funeral. Uh, you were all, like on the YouTube screen oh, there. Yeah, but, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the first, this is the first time I've actually talked to you seeing your your face since Dell, I think it was. So yeah, um, yeah. As you guys can tell, this, this is, Rick and I talk all the, a lot, but uh, obviously this is not something we do often. So, but we figured it out. We're good. Josh, I assume that we're live. We're good. We're being recorded. I'm going to wait for you to. We're always um, being recorded. Oh, recording has started. Okay, we're live. All right. I need to catch my breath here. Um, <laughs> you feeling no, good, funny. Rick? Do you need to. You, you need to take a, a breather, bathroom break, anything like that? I'm, Breath of I'm fresh good. air? I'm going to the bathroom right now. We're good. All right. It's going to be a great <laughs> night, people. <laughs> With that, I'm not even going to do any opening. We're already live. I, we're going. We're good. So I have here with me my buddy, Rick Hummer. And I'll just say really quickly, and I probably do this every single time, but uh, Rick, the first time I met Rick Hummer was at the at FEIC in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it was a really brief meeting. I mean, it was, we actually have a photograph to document it. Like, um, I can't remember how it worked out. Like you just came into the photograph and like Matt Long was there and it was the three of us. And we didn't really even talk at the conference, but yeah. It was it was in a couple months later, early 2018. It was January, February. It's a Sunday, and I'm just doing whatever in my house. I don't remember what I was doing. I was bored out of my mind. And and Rick just calls me up. He just calls me up on the phone and he's like, um I I'm like, hey, hi. <laughs> and we talked for like three or four hours that day or something like that. And um yeah. and we just kind of blossom from there and we started talking more and more and then of course i i'd like to point out is that rick was the guy who at dallas in 2019 we're sitting we're standing we're not sitting we're standing at the bar and and he comes up to me and he starts talking about he's like have you like have you like i'm not even going to try to do a rick impression because he can he's right here and he can do it better but he's like you know have you ever like looked into like this phenomena where there's these buildings with these basements and there's like doors and windows leading to nowhere and these yeah, said, basements. I'm said, like, what are you talking said, about? But you know, he's talking <laughs> about the mud flood and he's like, you need to look into this. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll look into it. And then, you know, here we are today. So, um, Rick, it <laughs> okay, well, let's just get right into it then. So, uh, I gave, yeah, I gave well, my introduction. Hey, real quick. What I was going to tell you is the, or, or say was the, um, the question I asked was, who builds buildings with basements three, four stories down with windows on the exterior walls? As I remember asking you that. I said, this is what I, this is what is intrigued me was yeah. the build, the buildings. And I'm like, I, I don't know. I was... That's, that's what intrigued me though. That's what made me go, wait, what, yeah, what is going on here? Who would build a building with exterior windows in the, in the basement, three stories down? You know, windows up against the dirt and the ground. Who would do that? That's what got my attention to this all the way back in 2018, 19, early 19, I think, is when I first started seeing it. Right before the conference, really, if I remember right. 
Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I'm, it might be my internet, but we'll get through this. So I was asking yeah. the group if you're choppy for them, they say you're good and clear. So maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the choppy one. Uh, let me know. Right. Okay. So it was about, we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, and it, it was seven years ago to the month. It might be to the day, we're not sure, uh, that you and Rob Skiba did your uh, your Chicago experiment. Yeah. Now, we were originally going to have Rick, he was going to go there to the whereabouts, the beach or whatever, from Lake Michigan and see if he could uh, basically take us through it again. But the weather was really bad tonight. High winds, cold, cloudy. It's, it's humid. Yeah, it's humid here. It's it's really weird. Like it dropped probably 13 degrees in an hour. It just It's cold. I think we're supposed to get down to 52 tonight. So, But the winds are coming directly from the north. Uh, and standing there where Rob and I would have been in New Buffalo, there was, a, you can, I can hardly see the humidity was here. I'll walk outside so you can see this. Um, you might be able to pick it up, but the, um, the haze that's going on out here is insane. It's still a little hazy, but here, I'll show you. It's pretty wild. Can you guys hear me? You're good. I can hear you. Okay. okay so. Oh, big old groundhog out here in the field. So I don't know if you can see, but it's real hazy, and that's just a half a mile. Like that house right there is a half a mile from my house. This is a half mile farm uh, field, and you can't see hardly. You can see the gray. Look at the level of gray and the trees back there. That's a whole other tree line that's a mile and a half away. So you figure you go 50 miles, you're not going to see anything. 40, 42 miles, 46 miles, you can't see anything. So there's no sense in going out there. You wouldn't see it. And it's cold and it's choppy. Look at the sun. Look at the haze on the sun. So, and that's why Rick is home today. So we didn't uh, have him go out there. And yeah. uh, anyways, you know, take us through your memories of that day and anything that stands out to you. And um, uh, yeah. Man, um, just the whole thing was, it was chaotic in the morning. We didn't know if we were going to be able to, to do it. Um, we prayed about it. We're like, you know, we just hope we can get clear skies. And, um, you know, both of us talked to our wives right before we left, told them, uh, you know, we're getting right head out. And then, you know, like, don't call. We're going to be busy. And um, when... We got picked up at the at the marina. Um, the first thing that you know our our captain said was, "Man, I don't know, I don't know what's going on, but this is the clearest I've ever seen a June sky in all the years I've done this." He said, "You can see the city perfectly," because we told him what we were doing. We told him, you know, we weren't dropping a line in the water. We're just paying the gas basically, and we're chartering the boat, and we're going across the lake with video the whole time. So that we could prove that there's not a mirage. This is what this, that's what the whole test was. It wasn't to prove that Lake Michigan is flat. It proved that the, the mirage that they try and say is a mirage is not a mirage at all. The, the, the city is not coming up over the bend, which essentially it proves there's no curve, uh, which you can get up in the air in a Cessna and, and fly right along the coast. You can see both sides. You can put a, a, a um, uh, something flat up against the window and you can see that it's, it's, you know, Lake Michigan is, is flat. It's, it is what it is. I mean, yes, it's got some choppy waves. It's got some choppy water, 
uh, but it's flat. So like any big body of water, but that's what, that's what the whole purpose was, was to prove that the mirage wasn't real. And we did, we proved that there's no mirage. The mirage didn't come in from behind or anything like that. It was, it, it was just a straight shot. And we, like I said, the city got bigger as we got closer. That was it. That video was, uh, there's probably several people in the room that will agree with me. That was probably one of my favorite moments in the modern history of the Flat Earth Awakening. And for a lot of us, we were, you know, I mean, I was kind of on the edge of my seat, not knowing which way uh, Rob Skiba was going to go. You know, because he's yeah, like, is, yeah. it, it was like, is he going, is he going global? I mean, you probably had a very different perspective, you know, being with him personally, but from the distance of watching this on YouTube, you know, I'm like, is he, is he going to go with Globe Earth? Is he going to go with Team Flat Earth? What's going to happen? And I remember when you guys put out that video, and I remember, I actually, this very room I'm sitting in now was the room I'm sitting in. I used to have a TV up on this wall, and it was all dark. And I, I watched that, and I was just misty eyed. I'm like, I'm like crying because it was like, uh, it was like beautiful moment. And and I remember when I wrote that article on that, I had a bunch of, and I said that I cried when I watched the video, I had a bunch of dudes contacting me and said, yeah, you could write in a whole montage of, of like all the men that were crying across America, because there was a bunch of other guys who, they all agreed that they were all, you know, they were just all yeah. misty eyed over that. It was a beautiful moment. It, 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 you know, the whole thing was. And we didn't get misty eyed then because we were just, you know, I knew I was like, I already knew what was going to happen. That's why my focus was when we came out of the marina. So when Rob could actually see out into the lake before we even came out of the channel, I was making sure that I was watching Rob's face at that time because Rob, I knew Rob, as soon as he saw Chicago, I knew it was going to be this. I wanted to see his face. I wanted to see his, you know, the, the realization of, of, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it across Lake Michigan and that's exactly what, you know, I got, I got that moment, you know, I got that, that his perspective changed immediately. And I'm like, yeah, man, it's, it's over 40 miles across. And so when he started realizing the further that we went out in the lake, there's no mirage, it's flat. He knew, I, I mean, I think he knew it before we even left, obviously, but you know, we had to we had to document the whole thing. We had to show it. Um, I kicked myself so hard for, you know, a long time. Let me shut this door. The train's out here. Insane. Uh, lately. This the train stop. The, the train is driving through your, your half a mile field right now. Uh, well, no, it's on the other side of it down the way, but it's about a half a mile away. Yeah. It's just insane though. How loud they are. So anyway, yeah, we, when we, when we did the the test, uh, obviously when we got back, you know, there was still that thought did, you know, it, it, does it curve? Does it? No, it was gone. And, you know, a couple of the guys that were, uh, they had big boats out there where Rob and I uh, ate lunch or dinner that night. They had said some things that made him question a few things, but really ultimately, once he got back home and started realizing, once he started leaving that night from that test or when he was going back to Chicago to catch his flight, he snapped a picture of the Sears Tower, the Willis Tower, and he figured out the distance of what it was and then he realized how big it was. And that's when he started realizing the magnification process that water particulates have. You know, and air quality is key. It's essential. You have to be able to have the very clear air before 
you can expect to see anything uh, visibly. And, you know, obviously the human eye can only see so far. That's why the P900 cameras work so well at the beginning. People taking the, uh, taking the initiative to go buy these cameras and, and do the test themselves. That's what really sparked it all. But when we proved there was no mirage, yeah, it was, it, it was a game changer, obviously, uh, early on. And, of course, the censorship started not long after that. I mean, if you remember, we started getting censored. Uh, Flat Earth was then um, referred to as a threat to humanity, I believe, is what the president or the CEO of YouTube said at that time. So when you look at that, you know, a threat to humanity or a threat, biggest threat to the world, well, maybe it's the world that you guys have created. Maybe it's the world that you guys want everyone to believe in, and this crumbles it. I mean, it literally just tears it apart. You right? When people come to the realization that water is a natural level, that it finds its own level, it goes level, and 71% of the surface is water. If you can't understand that, the simple principle, um, you know, and get past the fact that, yeah, you took a bunch of tests as a kid. Yeah, you watched a bunch of movies, but I have, I have the full-blown uh, – doc. I have all the documents of the – um, I, you want to call it propaganda, but the brainwashing, the indoctrination uh, lessons in a folder. And it was literally, it was only like two weeks of class in sixth grade. So I don't know how much people act like, you know, we know so much when it's like they were training on, uh, you know, training our brains as early as, you know, before middle school. So I don't know what the fixation is on saying that there's, uh, there's, you know, uh, uh, no doubt in anyone's mind without really looking at the the core of the matter is, is that, no, you've been taught this, you've been trained that, you had to take tests on it. It's a hard pill to swallow, but when you get out there on the water and you look and you realize, wow, it's not a mirage, uh, even the captain said, no, Lake Michigan's flat. He, I mean, he, he knew it. Would he ever say he was a flat earther? I doubt it. Is he one today? I don't know. I, I think it'd be really interesting to go back and find him and uh, get a hold of him and Ask him if he well probably ask him if he ever took any heat for that, but um, it is what it is. Uh, the the test was great. It was exactly what we what um, you know we hoped we would get was good weather, and we got it. And it was just by far the biggest nail in the coffin for uh, the globe. You know, a twenty four thousand nine hundred one mile ball that's supposed to have a fall rate of eight inches times the distance in mileage squared didn't happen. Now, what um, what Rick is, of course, talking about is the okay. Let me just say what we're doing here. First of all, one of my bonding moments with Rick Hummer and also Rob Skiba was over this experiment. And so, to celebrate for the three-year anniversary of this test, uh, I I was living in France at the time, and I'm sitting down in this wine cellar, this in this old medieval uh, house, and I remember I'm calling Rick up on the phone, and he's talking about it. And then I would call Rob up on the phone and he would talk about it. And then I talked to Rick again and then to Rob again. I'm going back and forth. And and uh, uh, it was a very intimate experience for me. Go, I never got them at the same time on the phone, which would have been awesome. But I was going back and forth with them. And so before we move on, and, and so I have a lot of writings. Uh, Rick and I have sat down and he has talked for hours privately with me where I just like recorded his life. And then I wrote it down and I have a lot of writings on him, which... Uh, has not actually gone public yet. It's going to. I'm, I'm not threatening you, Rick, but they're going to go public real soon. This isn't like a ransom note or anything like that. Uh, but it's just this guy has lived like a wild life, you know, kind of like your your Forrest Gump type of life type of thing. 
And before we get get all into that, I would be curious because we started out talking about the Chicago experiment and Rob Skiba. What is it doesn't have to be your it could be your favorite memory, but what is one of your your pivotal memories of Rob Skiba? Um I'm gonna say it was the first time hearing what he, I didn't quite capture what it was that he was doing, but I actually happened to tune in to him speaking at a moment where he said that we have to be able to be uh, have um, we got to be able to communicate to the young people. We've got to be able to communicate and understand uh, the language of the world. Basically, like we got to be able to be relevant in some capacity. Um, and in that instant, uh, at that time, I was like looking into so many different things, but the one of them happened to be the Nephilim, the, the giants. And um, I had uh, been in contact with Jim Wilhelmson at that time, L.A. Marzulli, uh, coming out of the radio side of things and television side. Uh, work, you know, I worked in the media. You know, I worked for the dark side or whatever you want to call it. You know, um, and when you when you really want to get the answers, one thing that I learned is you have to go get them yourself. And so one of the things that I really want to do is yeah. find these guys that were doing a bunch of research and really uh, pick their brain on some things if they would take the time. And um, Wilhelmson was always gracious to me. He always answered everything that I had about uh, the possibilities of, of, you know, hollow earth, shoal, uh, you know, the list goes on with any of the, the underworld stuff or what's down inside. Um, the other part of that was uh, when Rob mentioned what he was doing then, I realized oh, he's talking about doing a show. I was so excited. I went running downstairs and I think I had the laptop in my hand running down the stairs. And I told my wife, I'm like, I got to get a hold of this guy. I want to, I want to help him out any way I can with this project. And it wasn't, you know, wasn't long after that, that we were in touch with, with each other. He had put out the thing for the audition uh, to, that he was going to do an audio drama. And I sent him this, this, you know, thing I worked on at the studio and um he heard it and you know called me the next morning and then that was it we we bonded like it's like we grew up together it was crazy uh missed the guy like you wouldn't believe but and that was for C correct that was yeah, for C, was for C. Yeah. that's yeah that's when we really started working together and then it was like I don't know a year or two later uh here comes flat earth one day Rob called me and just said have you seen any of this stuff being posted on Facebook or YouTube. And I said, yeah, I have actually. And he goes, have you clicked on any of it? And I said, no, no, I haven't. And, and uh, I went, why? Is there something to it? And he went, well, <laughs> I'll never forget the way. Went, well, uh, and he just, he was lost for words. And so that's when he sent me the links to um, Mark Sargent's um, Flat Earth Clues. And I listened to those on a road trip. I had to drive up like up to Cadillac, Michigan. It was like three and a half hours. And I, I'm like, oh, that's I'll listen to these while I'm driving. And I got, I don't know, third video in and I was calling Mark. And he, you know, back then he he had this phone number at the end of the at the end of the um video, excuse me. Um I think he still does. He probably still does, but I called the number and you know, it was within a few videos later. I didn't get to the last video by any means. He actually called back. And um, we spoke for probably a good 25, 30 minutes uh, easily on the phone before I got to my destination. But it was just kind of wild that he um, 
Rob is the one that opened up the door for me and flat earth for me to like be a part of this because we were already working together on seed, which has, you know, there's some relevance to this now. I mean, this is actually, this directly would affect the storyline from what he had had uh, at the beginning of seed um, with the uh, whole space thing. So it was just wild how it, how it uh, really just hit the air brakes on us. And we started having these deep conversations and, you know, obviously people turned on Rob. He took his website down the same day that the, he took the website down was the same day that I had lightning strike in my front yard uh, upon finding the folders, the, the folder that had all of the information that I had as a kid, this folder from sixth grade shows up in my grandma's garage. Um, and I end up with this box with the folder inside of it that, you know, just the strangest of strange things happens all in the same day. And it was the same day that Rob put up the video, I Don't Care Anymore, the song I Don't Care Anymore by Genesis, because people turned on him just by him saying that he was looking into it, let alone, you know, what happened. And yeah, it was just a it's it was a wild experience. And and you know, like I said, if it wasn't for Rob, I probably wouldn't even be involved in any of this. I would have maybe looked right past it with what I do. I was running a busy, busy life. And um you know, I may have never looked at it. I never laughed at it, though. I didn't laugh at it at all. I thought that's a that would be the craziest thing ever if it was. And one of the things, the reason why I didn't laugh at it is, and I'm an artist, and I understand, you know, perspective. I understand, you know, the vanishing point and the horizon line and railroad tracks will come together if you're staring at them. You know, they'll come together, and and uh, the same thing with the sky will come down and the the ground will go out and everything's eye level, the horizon line. So all that made sense to me anyway. Um, but I was also the guy that had the Rand McNally Road Atlas on my plane ride back and forth to, you know, LA or Riverside or wherever I was going at the time. I would actually look at the map and look out the window and see how far I could see. And it's kind of funny that when I look back, I would do that, uh, just kind of keeping track of where we were before we had TV screens on the back of the, you know, the planes, uh, the seats in the plane. So there was a lot of there was a lot of things that that played into this, and there's so many experiences that you could talk for hours on that. I think everybody could. Yeah, so. I, you know, and not to get too much into you know flat Earth proofs tonight, but it was the same way with me for years because I, mm -hmm. you know, used to be. I talk about this every so often. I used to be a wedding photographer, and I would fly every weekend from L.A. to to Boston, New York, Chicago, DC, you know, Puerto Rico, all over. And I'd get in this airplane and, you know, you're 30,000 feet up or whatever, and you're looking down at the earth. And I would look down there obsessed at the fact that I would just be amazed at how the earth would keep rising and rising and rising. And yeah. I would, I would always think about this. I would go ask people this question and they would look at me like, what are you talking about? But I would be yeah. like, okay, the earth is spinning, right? So why is the earth not spinning below us? And why are we like, you know, why are we just going with the, you know, like it should be going, you know, in a Western, you know, you just kind of, whatever. I mean, you know, you well, should west, just go. West flight, westward bound flights were different than eastbound flights, but not by much in, in time. And they should be way different, way different in time. If the earth is spinning and, you know, you're right. you know, the, the, the whole science part of that. Uh, you so, know, the important thing called science. Yeah, yeah my, my point was is that, yeah, it, when the flat earth came along, it just made sense to me because these are the questions I was asking my entire life. Now, this is your show tonight, and you're going to be talking tonight, but I have to say this just be, while we're mm -hmm. on the subject of Rob Ski, but then we're going to jump on, is I ask you your favorite memory of him. I have, you know, I have 
many favorite memories too. Uh, but I think my favorite is because just like you, Rick, you know, where I would turn on the recorder and you would just talk into it. I did the same thing with Rob for a while. And he would just, you know, when he was done with work for the day, he would call me up. You're like, hey, I got like an hour. I'm like, okay. So I would just hit the recorder and he would call me up and just start talking about his life. And I think my favorite moment was when he started talking about how he was, he played Dave on Alvin and the Chipmunks on the Nationwide Tour. And I had to stop mm -hmm. him. I'm like, I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. You, you were in Alvin and the Chipmunks? He's like, yeah, I played Dave. And, and I, I'm like, are you kidding? I love that show as a kid, right? Like, I loved Alvin the Chipmunk. And I said, can you do, like, a Dave impression? And so he started screaming, you know, Alvin! And I was, like, just nerding out because here I have a private audience on the phone with Dave. And he's doing yeah, a Dave. David. Yeah, so uh, that was my favorite, I think, Rob Skiba uh, moment. But anyway, so before we – I'm going to have you touch on all different aspects of your life. But I, before we get you know too far into it, because I didn't want to forget this tonight, uh, is talk, talk about your role in Ready movie. And you can take us through it. I, I would like to hear anything on it, like maybe how it got started, maybe stories involved. But just so everybody knows the context up front is that this is a movie that, uh, Rick, how, you filmed most of it. It's almost all done. Like there's like, what, 15 minutes left? No, 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 no. We didn't film most of it. We have no. Here's here's what I will tell you, and I, just to be fair, it's been put on hold for good reason. Uh, we started filming this. I started doing this with as a project that Rob and I were going to do together, and I mean the sign is hanging up in my garage still. It's right there. So it's 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 kind of crazy. You can see the sign. That's that was part of of what we were doing. Um, and it was something that I came up with, an idea that I came up with that Rob could do on green screen. And this was before Flat Earth. So when Flat Earth hit, I, I totally changed so much of where the direction was going with all this stuff that I had already put this work into. And at that point in time, I knew, and plus Rob and I were working on Seed, I knew that I had to really bust through this. And at that point in time, um, when I say bust this, I was talking about flat earth. I thought, Oh, this is going to be, this is going to be really easy. Uh, it's all going to be revealed. Everyone's going to get it, uh, because it came so easy, you know, to, to me, I didn't, I didn't struggle with it. I really didn't. Once I'm like, well, wait a minute, water's a natural level. I can see Chicago. And that's the whole thing is I told Rob, but going back to this thing, I guess what got me was with the, with the movie is I thought there's a way to tie all this into, uh, this character that I had been doing prior to even knowing Rob. That was the other thing. Uh, this character was something I was doing. Um, the first time I met Rob in person, I was actually dressed up as Roland Reddy at a stunt show down in Texas. So it was kind of funny that that's how he, when he arrived, I was already in costume and I went up to him and he didn't recognize me right away. That might be my favorite moment because that was the first time we actually physically met. Uh, I was actually in costume for this, doing this stunt thing with my buddy Calvin. And um, so anyway, but yeah, but, and I have a lot, by the way, in all fairness, I have a lot of favorite moments with Rob. Uh, the first one would be the first, that, that I actually, that, you know, that I discovered there's people out there that are doing stuff. And it just so happened to be Rob Skiba that was just really wholeheartedly that I uh, gravitated towards just because of uh, what we are both into. And, um, you know, God, I do, I still believe it's like God brought us together as, as bros, as buddies to, to not just, uh, 
hang out, but to kind of be there to encourage each other and uh, kind of lift each other up when one would get discouraged about stuff. Um, that's, uh, that's how I always viewed like we were kind of brought together at a time where we both kind of needed uh, some uplifting and some motivation and encouragement. So that's kind of what uh, I look at that. And so with the movie, Rob was all about it. He couldn't really do a whole lot except play himself. And that was something that we had talked about. So there were so many different angles at the beginning of this because it was all so fresh and all so new. And I didn't have a cinematic camera. I didn't have the equipment. And I really thought it would be more fun to actually record all of these experiences and going up and finding people and talking to people with an actual handy cam, like a Sony handy cam on a, on a selfie stick. And that's really what happened. I had a real true, I was getting footage with a, with a Sony handy cam and I'd have to bring the stick down and hit the button and then push it back up and, and, you know, flip the little lens so I could see what was going on. And that's how it all started. It was going to be more of like a little YouTube channel. And then the more we started talking about it, we were like, this needs to be a feature film, but I need B-roll. I need footage. I got to have all this stuff. So we, I started collecting and gathering uh, the journey, the actual true journey. So a lot of it was filmed in real time of what this character would go through, uh, ending up at a conference ending up talking to people that believed it, debating people, getting into arguments with people. So there's a lot of B-roll footage that people have never seen. There's, if anybody was at any of these conferences, they will remember that I was in costume and I was walking around with camera. And there is a lot of great video, a lot of great conversation that was, it's part of the story. And there's a way to do this cinematically with that old footage, that vintage footage, if you want to call it that. It seems like it's vintage now. Um, that even in that medium, in that, in that uh, format, that it would look just fine because it's authentic, it's raw, it's real. And obviously I don't look the same age as I did seven years ago. Um, the people are getting older. Uh, people that are on camera from seven years ago or whatever, when, the, the, when was the first time we actually started doing this stuff? Um, I guess it would be seven years. We did the test seven years, I guess. When, when did you become a flat earther, Noel? 15, 16? I was uh, May of 2016. So that's about, I think that's the same year as me. No, you 20, would have been 20, you were 2015. 15, 15. Yeah. 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 Man, see, I'm losing it. So you were, were, yeah, you were, you were April, I believe April, 2015. Yes. Yes. It would have been tax time, tax season. Uh, same time. Cause it was that night that Rob had that. He called me that same night when he heard Janary cry radio. That's when he called me. See, I should just be your official biographer because when you have questions about your life, just ask me and I'll tell you the date. <laughs> That's great. But yeah, what, what it was, it was April. It was, it was tax tax day because I know Rob was doing taxes and drive somewhere. Well, and I know he called that, me that night. Yeah, and I know that. And Flat Earth was brought into my head like, what? The same yeah, day. I believe uh, Mark Sargent did Flat Earth Clues. I think it was like March. So it could have been March, but it was March into April of 2015 well and no the first it, thing that rob had me listen to was that canary cry interview that was what i listened to first i listened to that interview that he heard the uh, of mark talking to them i believe or talking about it but yeah but then i but then i but then rob sent me the the flat earth clues and i listened to that the next day when i was driving so yeah it was all it was all a whirlwind 
it, it all happened so fast. And immediately I was thinking about Chicago. I'm like, well, I've seen Chicago across Lake Michigan. What's the formula? The building should be behind the water, shouldn't it? And I start, I mean, my, my brain started thinking that way three-dimensionally immediately because that's just, I, I've seen Lake Michigan my whole life, going to Lake Michigan. And it's, we, on clear days, on days that you, you know, there's clean air, uh, you can see Chicago. If there's a lot of humidity, you're not going to see it. If there's a rain shower coming down between you and Chicago, 50 miles away, you're not going to see it. It becomes a curtain, you know? And uh, I mean, Chicago is not real big. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, if you're everyone's screen that sees me, if this was your full screen for your uh, camera or, or whatever, your eyes, I mean, Chicago is only sticking up about this far off the water with everything yeah. that you can see peripheral with your eyes. I mean, it's really tiny, barely anything, you know? So when you, when you see it, it's one thing, but some days that's what I was getting at back to this, Noel, the experiment I was telling Rob before we got there, I said some days Chicago looks a lot closer than it is because I believe it's being magnified, you know, in the air, you know, something's happening. And that's why they think that there's a, um, that's why they think there's a, uh, a mirage because it does change. And some days it can be squiggly. Like you can be looking at, it looks like the Sears tower is doing this. And that's all the humidity. That's the different yeah. patterns of wind and all that in the air. So it's giving you this crazy effect. It's like looking through um, stained glass almost, you know, warp, that warped look. So anyway, uh, I forgot the question. <laughs> well, we were talking about Roland Reddy. Yes, yes. So going back to that. Yeah, so, so the, the story developed over time. We started putting together an idea for it. And before I knew it, I, you know, I, I had told some people that, yeah, we're working on a feature film for this. And I let somebody talk me into like putting together a trailer for it before we were even close to having it shot. Uh, and, and if we were going to do it, we were going to do it the right way. I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it cinematically. Um, not just on that handy cam. Um, and the original idea was I was just going to do like a YouTube channel, just do videos every now and then um, and, and, you know, stay busy and, and go. But once I started putting the storyline together, I started realizing I could take part of my story in my life, some other people's stories that I knew from Flat Earth, put, put, put some of their, all of our experiences together and start putting uh, what I knew with my life in LA and the things I experienced. I thought, this is the perfect, perfect storyline for Roland Reddy, who's got the, uh, he's got the opportunity to do the, the stunt of a lifetime called the Big Bang. And he's going to be the first guy to do a stunt in space. And he's got this amazing, you know, podcast TV show, whatever you want to call it, kind of like what Stern had going on the original podcast, if you want to call it that, um, you know, where people were watching it and watching a guy do radio, you know, uh, when I look back at that, I was like, this is exactly what, you know, I, I, I can write this out easily because it's what I know. And it's a no-brainer for me to slap the teeth in do, and do the character. The character is based off people that I know. It's also based off a little bit of what I've, ex what I've experienced, you know, being around uh, in the show business side of things, living in L.A. When I, as long as I did and um, lived there just long enough to get out and figure out what in the world is going on. Uh, it's a sick, sick place. Um, but when I, when I put the whole screenplay together, I was like, you know what? There's more to this. And Andrew Lankis, a friend of Yahweh, he and I started talking. And another buddy of mine started talking. And we started figuring out that we could easily shoot this and get this thing together and make it happen. 
uh, if we did this in little bits and pieces and just did it on our own budget and tried to get, uh, you know, get this thing done on our own time and on our own dime. Well, we were doing that. We shot uh, during the 4th of July parade. Mark Sargent flew into town. I had him come in and stay. Uh, had a group of guys come up, uh, John Pounders, John Hall. They came up, helped out with the set uh, or the, with the uh, crew. A bunch of my buddies jumped in to help out to do sound to do special effects with with confetti that that it was a blooper, but then it actually ended up working out better because the wind picked up and had it going in the air. It was fun. There was a lot of fun involved, but we shot it cinematically. We shot it on a Raven Red. Uh, we've got great footage of Mark and I cruising around in a 1981 Trans Am, having this great conversation. The next, to, it's like something off of On Golden Pond, where they're having this conversation about level and properties of water. Uh, not to mention, I, like I said, I've got all this footage of Bob Nodell and Rob uh, talking with Roland Reddy and one-to-one interviews with the old cameras and the and cell phone footage that just looks raw. Um, uh, the fun stuff, the stunt stuff that we had before Flat Earth came along. Uh, there's real true stunts going on. There's real true, uh, you know, if you want to say jackass type stuff going on, it's real. Um, so it ties in perfectly to this character. That's that's the whole point. But we wanted to make the character likable. And so Andrew and I started really uh, putting our heads together and we did phone conversations and we recorded phone conversations. And before I knew it, he was actually putting together the screenplay, the actual true script, uh, not just my notes and everything that I was putting together. I mean, this is a full-blown script form, ready to go. And we were already filming and we had filmed a game show sequence with Roland with Mark Sargent as a game show host. David Weiss is a contestant. Jaron Campanella is a contestant. Roland Reddy gets sucked into this game show as the celebrity guest. Um, and, you know, it crumbles his world. There's all there's just there's just a whole awakening process. But it goes from the beginning of Roland's life from a baby boy, from the time that the indoctrination starts in all of us or some of us, just like it did with me. Uh, I mean, I wasn't even in what second grade before. Um, Star Wars came out, you know, so I was like the prime kid that like action figures. Um, you know, I was, I was the kid that got all three generations of action figures and it was still okay to maybe get some action figures of return of the Jedi, but not much more. Or you weren't going to be a cool kid. And it, it, so I got the Star Wars Empire Strikes Back in that. So that whole thought process with Roland Reddy even came into mind of the indoctrination and how all that came into play. But it also came comes into play that you can't help but to love the kid uh, as he's growing up because he actually goes through uh, losing his father early on and it shapes and changes his world. But his dad plants a certain seed in him as a young child. And uh, those were some of the memories that he has of his dad. So that's what the whole roll and ready process is. So as far as us shooting, we were scheduled to shoot in Mexico in April of 2020. And obviously, you know what happened uh, with that. Everything got canceled. And at that point in time, once once that all kicked in, so much happened in everyone's personal lives. It's hard because Andrew's all the way down in Austin, Texas. I'm in northern Indiana. Our camera guy's down in Louisville. Uh, some of our other crew and staff that we know that we'd have to use and everybody in the movie as far as the people that we wanted to use, none of them were here locally in northern Indiana. So it, it became a really big task to actually try to do a feature film. And a lot of people lost interest, it seemed. A lot of people just didn't want to, you know, they couldn't travel. You couldn't do anything. And um, and a lot of people just went through a transition. 
um, you know, the very last thing we, the last thing that was ever shot for the movie was we were back in doing some side production stuff, picking up more B-roll, and we shot a scene with Rob um, at the conference, at the Take On the World conference, uh, just before we left, before we all got sick. And um, so there, the last, the very last thing that I've ever shot was with Rob um, for the project. So uh, yeah, we put it on hold till we can all get together the, the right way and figure out how this is going. But the funny thing is, is that because of COVID, it's kind of changed the storyline a little bit to make some other things relevant. Um, the really, it's kind of interesting if we could get back on it, it would actually bring in the entire um, connecting so many dots for, for rolling with the questions that he had just because of what's happened since uh, COVID and all the things that are lining up geopolitically and, you know, the, you know, what's going on. I mean, it is what it is with the, with the, uh, injections and everything else i remember the uh the the game show with mark sargent and jaron that was filmed at in dallas at the flat earth conference uh in yes. 2019 and then so what uh if you don't mind my asking like if you were to finish this movie what what would be left what needs to happen for you, like in terms of like footage you need to shoot or Flashback whatever? The, the, yeah, the, the younger stuff, the prior to, uh, um, I would say, elementary school stuff, uh, baby. There's a baby scene, obviously, the nursery, the opening scene. Uh, there's little things like that. Um, you know, the funny thing is we can sit down and we can have it doesn't take many takes with us. That's the one thing is the group that, that I've worked with on this. It doesn't take a bunch of takes. Like we were able to go through the parade and do everything we needed to do through the parade. And we went through the parade twice. The town let us go through the parade twice. They moved the fire trucks back in line. They moved the, the Harleys that led the way, the bikers that led the way. Everyone got in line. Everyone was very patient at the parade and we got everything that we needed um, in two takes. And, and the reason why we did two takes is one was aerial with the drone and one was on the ground with the camera. So um, when we did the uh, shooting at um, the conference in 2019 in Dallas, the game show, uh, we got all that done. I, I was surprised at how quickly we were able to fly through that uh, as quickly as we did. Um, you know, did it come out good? It came out great. We knew it was going to be, you know, it's not the main part of the movie. It's just part of the movie. It's part of uh, where it really takes a turn. That's a, a very essential part of the movie with having David and Jaron uh, as these contestants playing against this guy that doesn't believe this guy thinks he's going to go to space. He thinks he's going to do all this stuff and I'm giving away a bunch of, of the movie, but, uh, but Mark being the game show host, it's actually funny considering what Mark's position was in the movie. His character is just who Mark Sargent is. You know, it's like, you don't know how to take the guy. Um, Roland didn't. He didn't understand it. So there's a lot of play there, and it's funny to be able to use people that are actually in the movement, people that have been, you know, speakers and active. I mean, look at these guys are still very active in it today, and look how long ago that was shot. So you yeah. look at that and go, this is it's a time capsule. Um, that's the biggest part about this is so it's almost like it's a it's a long form documentary slash movie, uh, docudramedy, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to continue, but we're also working on something else that, that what you and I had spoke about was kind of doing something different. I really don't want to talk about this project at all 
at all. I don't want anybody to know about this project yet until it's a full blown, let's go and green light it and, and make it happen. Because this would be a lot simpler to produce at this point in time while we're kind of waiting to uh, see what happens. Plus we have, you know, we needed a budget. Um, you know, Paul and the plane came on the board with the rolling ready project, you know, not even batting an eye, like I'm in. And then COVID hit. And so we, you know, we've, we, I owe a lot of thanks to people, but I also know that there's, I hope people realize how much work was done already on it. So yes, do I have high hopes that it will get completed when it's time? It will, when the time is right, it will. And I do believe that uh, with everything that I've got um, already in the can and ready to go. Yeah. It would be spectacular to finish it, especially with the storyline especially with the people that could help consult on some of the things and the, the opportunities that we have to shoot. Um, you know, I've got access to uh, an incredible array of vehicles from guys that have hot rods from the seventies to uh, today's, you know, fastest cars you can find to a buddy of mine that's still doing stunts. So there's, there's so much that can be done and, um, and needs to be done. But at the same time, it's just getting everybody on the same page and going. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm rolling to ready. So in the five to six years, five plus years, six years that Rick and I have been talking, almost every single time that we talk on the phone, it's rolling ready comes up. And so this is something that I know that is very dear to, to Rick and he's passionate about. And you know, for those of you like who followed Skiba, you know that you know seed was his baby that he was always trying to get off the ground. And so mm -hmm. this is something very similar. And I, I told Rick about a month ago or something like that. I'm like, like, you need to get this done. Like, what do we need to do to get this done? And um, I would I would love to see it because I've heard you, you guys hear him talk about it. I've heard him talking about this for the last six years now. And um, and I haven't seen it myself. So, you know, I'll I'll you'll have to invite me to the premiere, Rick. And uh, oh, I'd definitely. Love to I, I well, of course. Course. And the and the after party. You gotta invite me to the after party too. So I know it's like I know it's really uncool to invite yourself to the after party. I probably just disqualified myself from going to the after party. But all right, so um, take us because uh, I, as I was telling everyone or I was saying earlier, I've done a lot of work with you. You know, going through your life and your your time in Hollywood. That's probably going to be a first time for a lot of the people here, and I would they would love to hear you know, just your journey where you came from, like in the 90s, being a DJ and, and so on and so forth. So just take us through it and regale us with your your wisdom and your stories. Uh, what part? There's so many avenues that we could go down on that. Um, well, tell us, tell, know, us I, about, tell us about your time in Hollywood. I mean, we okay, can talk about whatever well, you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, okay. So, so, okay. So I was going to school. I was going to college. I got... Uh, I had an opportunity to get an internship with a radio station in Indianapolis, and um, it was a natural fit for me. I was able to jump in. I was always a prank phone caller growing up. I was the kid that had the cassette recorder with the suction cup microphone on the phone. Before Jerky Boys, we were actually doing this and recording these phone calls. And um, back then, you nobody you couldn't get caught. There was no caller ID. It was just the, the greatest thing ever. And we had all these cassette tapes labeled with the stuff that we were doing. So I could do voices, I could do that. So getting into radio and having to produce commercials and write commercials and uh, do phoners and you know read the news and do the weather, all, all that was, it was easy for me. Um, 
so I that's I got into that. And once I landed my first full-time gig, I wasn't even in radio full-time before I was in LA. I went from a, my first full-time gig in radio was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And from there, I went to a station in Riverside, California called KGGI. And I was only there, I think, two months. And the program director that had left the station just before I got there the new program director is the one that hired me. He had had a, he had to hire a new team, and so he hired me. I didn't know the guy. I went out to, for the visit, did the if you want to call it an audition or whatever. Uh, never went on the air actually. We just hung out, um, and he hired me. And then the guy that had left was starting up a new station in LA. They were flipping formats, and his girlfriend still worked for the radio station. And said you should hear the new night guy at KGGI. And he ended up making a phone call to me and said, send me your tape tonight. He was listening and said, send me your tape. Uh, and he said, better yet, why don't you hand deliver it tomorrow? You can make it back to your office if you want to, but bring it, bring it over to us in LA. And so I drove to Burbank the next day and dropped off the tape and met with, uh, met with the guys and clicked with them, thought they were really cool, realized these guys, they're, they're just like me. They like doing radio. They came up, you know, from, you know, the low, lower markets and work their way up. And uh, I ended up going to work for him in LA. I left my job in KGGI and I ended up in Burbank. I ended up, you know, uh, working on uh, Olive Avenue right next door to the Warner lot. My window looked out my studio, my, when I was on the air, my studio would look out the window and I would look at the water tower straight across from me on the Warner lot, like from the Animaniacs, the water tower was in there. That water tower is out my window. Um, so I, I mean, you talk about being right in the heart of things. And then my roommate worked for Universal Studios. Uh, the guy that I ended up uh, getting hooked up with through uh, a friend, not long after I was on the air in LA, uh, we had a mutual friend that hooked us up and um, he needed a roommate. And I was looking for a place and he had ties to Indiana and his mom and I were both from Indiana. And it was just like this weird thing. And I went out to the to his place, which was, a lot further than I wanted to drive every day, but it was Reseda. So I'm thinking, Reseda, that's where the crowded kid lived. Okay, this is getting cooler by the minute. I'm going to go live where the crowded kid lived until I got to Reseda. So Reseda was all about. It was all good. No offense to anybody in Reseda. But uh, I moved into this place over on Yolanda Avenue with, with uh, my buddy EJ, and we ended up getting the pool fixed in the backyard. We fixed this place up. We had cheap rent, and we were living like kings. And I think I was just, what, just turned 21, 22 years old. And so here we were, uh, both of us had these dream jobs. He was the head of TV development for Universal Studios. So anybody that was coming in and out of uh, Universal Studios, if they needed anything, he was the guy to go to. He was the logistics guy, part of the team, and knew everything that was coming in and out of every production. So he knew all this inside information about everything. He knew what, what, the, what it would take to do production. So it was all this great insight that I had never had. And... Uh, so anyway, long story short, I started doing radio, and not long after I was there doing my show, my program director came in and said, what, what do you think about working with a co-host and doing another show after your show at night? And I didn't know what he was talking about. And then it was, uh, he was like, well, let's go to lunch. And I remember we walked down to this awesome little Mexican joint that had the greatest food ever. And um, on the way there, he was like, what do you think of working with Shaka Khan at night? And I looked at him, I said, are you being serious? 
He's like, yeah. I said, that's weird because I just heard her doing the interview the other day on the radio. I thought she sounded really good. She's got a great voice, obviously. We know that. Uh, but she sounded good on the radio, like really natural, just having a conversation. I was like, yeah. And it was weird. So I was in L.A. less than two months. I was in L.A. after getting to California. I was working in L.A., I think, two, like not even two and a half months in. And then within two months of me being there, not even two months of me working there, Shaka, Shaka came on and joined the staff and was part of the show, part of the other show. So I had my show, and then I did a show with her. And uh, just as, and we did that for, you know, however many, it was a year and something, uh, almost two years probably close to it that we did that, I think. If I remember right, it was just maybe just shy before she realized she was going to, she got out of a record deal with Reprise and she wanted to go record a new record. And instead of signing a, a big, healthy contract with MJI, we had traveled to New York and met with them. We had a syndication deal on the line um, that would have gone nationwide with MJI. Um, kind of like Delilah at night. There's a, there's a syndicated show called Delilah. Um, but it was similar to that. Our show was similar to that, but not really, but syndicated like that. And it didn't fly. It didn't, it didn't go because the day that we were supposed to sign, she signed, uh, she, she got out of her record deal with reprise records and immediately booked a flight to, um, uh, the prince's place in Minnesota. So she went to his place to record some album and she left the radio thing sitting on the table and was like nope i'm not doing it and shortly thereafter that i left radio i started getting into doing storyboards and i started getting i was actually wanting to break it in and doing stunts um and uh getting more into the production side on that side of things and i was doing voiceover work um and that was it i got out of radio the, the station i worked for was also changing formats and i got wind of that so it was time to go and i started doing some things differently and um, and then that's when I, once I got out of radio, I had seen some things, but nothing crazy. But once, just as I kind of started making my decision to get out of radio is when I started realizing how weird LA was because I didn't go out all the time. I didn't, I wasn't going out and partying and going here and going there. I had access to go hang out at Universal Studios back lot and, you know, go sit at, go sit on the, the, the side of the mountain, look out over the lights. I'd rather do that than be at a nightclub. I was never really a big, I didn't want to go to the clubs out there it was a it was a different world uh, early on i would go to those places when i had to like if i was paid to be there like for a remote but it wasn't what i wanted to go do i didn't want to go i wasn't into the music I wasn't into the the big raving house music and uh it wasn't cool to listen to leonard skinner back then i guess i my favorite radio station in la when i lived there was aero 93.1 anybody that lived in la in the 90s will remember that station it was my uh and they were a competitive uh station they were kabc i think so yeah, it's been a it's been a weird journey, dude. I mean, well, when I look my, back, a whole different world. This is gonna bother me to the day I die, that because you know I was in just outside of Los Angeles Hollywood. That I was you know in Los Angeles back then when you were on the radio, and so late at night I would you know sit in my room and I would I had That's you crazy. know like I had the the turn dial right on the radio and I'd go through and listen to all of them and it's gonna bother me to the day I die. Did I listen to Rick and? And you know, on the radio late at night, well, yeah, 100.3 100 W or KIBB almost said WIBB KIBB was 100.3, and it was a uh, it was CBS radio or Infinity or whatever, not Infinity, but uh, Viacom. Uh, yeah, I, was. 
I passed the hundred all the time. You know, I'd go to one hundred one point one, which was uh, you know, was it the oldies, and then you go to like uh, what was K Rock? That was, was uh, K Rock was ninety eight uh, seven. Was it? That's right. 98. So, and then then I would go no, to no, Kiss. No, ninety eight seven was Star Star ninety eight point seven. Oh yeah, yeah, there was Star ninety point seven. There was Kiss FM. There was K Rock. Uh, there was. Um, and then there was, uh, you know, whatever. So, but I would be right past it. 99.1 KGGI was my original station in, in California. That was the original. That was the one in Riverside. That was KGGI. 99.1 KGGI. And I'm, this has nothing to do with you, Rick, but I'm just going to put this out there for anyone listening that I'm, you had mentioned Reseda. And yeah. I'm, I'm getting ready to, I'm working with Adam Fink right now to publish the paper, the interview I did with him. And a lot of people don't know this because everyone thinks of Adam Fink from Parable of the Vineyard that he's like this Missouri guy. He actually grew up in Encino. So, uh, oh, wow. yeah, so yeah. It's, it's kind of funny that, you know, just north and south of Beverly Hills, he and I grew up. But yeah. anyways, um, so you're on the WB lot. Tell us a little bit about like, your escapades and universal with your roommate uh, tell us tell us about no, your I can't, say, I can't say some of it i just can't there, there was like was 20s and it's a whole different world now but um well, I, also I before get... before you get too far into this before you get too far into this you know tell us about um you know on the wb lot as well uh when you would you know yeah, oh, yeah warner with... lot oh warner lot okay so how that happened that's um, a little bit less well, controversial i think well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's all no, it's none of it's really bad. It's just we were we did things at the universal lot we I should not have done. We could have gotten hurt, really hurt doing some of the stuff that we were doing. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So how how here's how all this worked out for me was once I landed in LA, once I was there working, once Shaka came on board, Rosie O'Donnell was she came out to do her show, the Rosie show at Universal Studios Hollywood. Upon coming out there, the the girl that booked Shaka was she and I became friends because we had to be in touch because I was also not just the the host I was also I was a one man show for Shaka and I was the producer and the host. Whereas for my show I had a producer, but I just was she didn't want to work with anybody, so I I was the producer plus the host. So it was a no brainer. I kind of did both, uh, or my guy kind of did both shows. So. The girl that booked us as talent, though, when I met her at the taping, she had me set up in a whole different uh, section. Um, so Shaka got wheeled off to go talk with Rosie. Then they put me over here in another section, and then they showed me right where my seat was, which was right in the front um, when, when they did the show. So when the show ended, Susan said, hey, we're going to go and hang out. Um, you guys should come out afterwards. And I'm like, oh, no, we don't go out afterwards. And they showed up at the radio station. They showed up at Dalt's Bar and Grill, which was at the bottom of our radio station. And the like the whole crew from Rosie's crew were they were there. So when we were leaving work, they were right there when we were walking out in the lobby. We're like, oh my gosh, there's those guys. And they're like, oh yeah, what well, was right next door to the Warner lot, which they came to the following year. So that's how I ended up on the Warner lot was when they came into town. I uh, naturally Shaka was invited back over to the show. I went back over there and while we were there and while they were cleaning up after the show was wrapped, it was the wrap party. They were um, packing up their gear and some of the guys that were done from New York, they had been playing basketball all week over at the, um, over at the lot on the lot. And uh, they were talking about how it's the smaller court, but there's no wind. It was great. I'm like, Oh, wow, that's cool. 
And Susan said, you ought to go over there with them and play. Don't you always have stuff in your car? I'm like, I do. I always had like basketball gear or something in my, in my car, beach stuff. I always had it in my trunk living in California. You never know what you're going to do. And I, I had my stuff and I went over and played. And before I knew it, I'm sitting there playing like two or three games, you know, you know, games to like 11 straight, you know, and, um, you know, somebody's sending me something. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so I, I went down to this court and then like two or three games in, you know, playing to 11 straight, uh, I realized I'm, I'm guarding Clooney. I've been guarding Clooney. He's been guarding me. I didn't, didn't even, didn't even register who, we, who this guy was. And here he was, he was playing with guys from ER and it was, that's how they stayed in shape. They got, they had a gym right there next to it. I saw Kurt Russell that same day. It was just this weird surreal moment for me i'm like you know what i've not really tapped into this i've been with shaka and i've met a bunch of musicians but as far as the acting side goes i've not been out and about him and, and here i am now i'm looking here's here's the dude from er here's this guy from uh the goldie hans life and all these different people urkel uh was there playing didn't even recognize Jaleel white he's playing basketball on the court it's all these different mixes of people that were on tv or part of production crews that were there that like play ball and it was pretty competitive ball so it was kind of cool because after we got done playing, uh, there, you know, guys were kind of standing around there talking and, uh, that's when, that's how the whole Clooney thing happened was he came up and he said, you guys are out of here, huh? And the guys were like, yeah, we're, we're heading back to New York. And, uh, and, uh, they go, well, he's not with us. They pointed at me and he's not with us. And I said, no, I work right over there. And I said, I leaned back and I'm like, I'm right over there. And I pointed to the building, the adults building past the water. Dome. I'm like, I work there. And he goes, what do you work? And I was like, Oh, I'm not with the team. I'm not with them. I'm just, I just know Claxton. And, uh, so, uh, you know, I know that group, you know? And so at that point in time, that's when, you know, he, he and I, he knew the people that I knew and he was like, wait a minute, you need to get it. You need to come back over here. I'm like, yeah, I can't, I don't know where you're getting in here. I have no credentials. I came in with them on this pass, you know, and he got it set up. So I was able to go in. He, I don't forget if it was a patch or if it was a, thing on my car but i had a drive on pass to warner a lot then so i would go there every day early to go to work and i would go meet with the guys and we'd play basketball at 12 30 every um weekday on the Warner lot 12 30 p.m uh we that's when we'd play ball and there's about 10 of us that would play and it was always four on four because the court was small but that's how the whole thing started with me it was that real like it was like i gave you all those details because there's no other way of explaining it, it it's just the way that it worked out and so by playing basketball in California, in, on the Warner lot, the people that I met, the doors that opened was kind of cool, but it was all basketball related. It wasn't Hollywood related. It wasn't anything but the game. That's really what it was. And that's what people don't understand is it never became any of that. I never had conversations with George Clooney going, you know, I've got this idea. I've never had those kind of conversations with any of those guys. Um, the only thing just... that I did do is I did work on some stuff for, for Will Smith when I was uh, about that same time. Not long after that, I was doing storyboards for a, a buddy of mine that um, he's kind of like Will's ghostwriter. Like when Will would get um, scripts and if they didn't like the script or whatever, they would make changes. And this guy was Will's ghostwriter. He would change the scripts to fit what Will thought would be better for, you know, his side of things. I don't know. But I would I started doing storyboards for Will's. I did storyboards for Will's Video Miami and drew that out. Uh, never got paid. Never got paid for that, by the way. But everything that I drew was in the video. It was kind of crazy. But that's the comic book rendition. For those that don't know what storyboards are, it's a com comic book rendition, basically, of a, of a production before you go into production. 
so you have camera angles and direction and that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that's what I was doing. And then, you know, obviously things started changing once I started getting out into the, the world of acting and being around uh, the production side and the money that's behind that and realizing, wow, the networking that goes on with these people. I got invited to a party uh, that I ended up in a, in a red room. Um, I didn't, I didn't end up in the red room. I ended up walking down the hall past the red room and I ended up at this party in this house where there's a red room party going on and there's, you know, a normal party on the other end of the, uh, of the house. And, um, all I can tell you is look up red rooms in Hollywood. There's a lot of, uh, like eyes wide shut stuff that went on. And when I, when I left the bathroom and came back down the hall and, and looked in there and got the good look of what was going on. That's when I went and got the guy that uh, invited me to the party. And I basically said, we need to go. And that was one of the moments that made me want to get out of Los Angeles. That was one of the moments that made me realize I don't want to be around this. Uh, the people that were at that party, I didn't know anybody there uh, by face, but they were supposedly like big name producers and and their families were there. Even their kids were like at this other party, but there was a whole other party on the other side of the house, which was crazy, which was crazy to me. Uh, um to, it to makes this day, the feeling it's evil it was evil it was flat out evil perverse nasty what i saw uh i won't even go into detail on any of it but it was it, it made me it made my skin crawl it's like something that you could and, and even the music that was playing the weird music the weird 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 music that was playing just weird it's like a circus but anyway uh yeah but that made me decide to get out of it to, to, to not ever go up into those hills again uh, Hollywood Hills is a crazy place. I remember you, that was, I remember you telling me about that and that was the moment that you got out of there and you described it like the movie Eyes Wide Shut. So, right. which is yep. pretty much the reference if anyone has seen that movie, that's what crazy. he experienced as he went down the hallway and looked into that room. And, you know, that is- It was minor, creepy. The feeling minor, that though, like on that though Noel was was it was more than just like looking at something bad it was a feeling like the creepiest feeling I've ever like I don't know man it was almost like not even human so what and what Rick is describing there is my understanding of what goes on in Hollywood as well and uh you know I've told you guys that I just my encounters in Hollywood and my work around there as well is that I think that there's a lot of really, um, so what, what he's describing is, is there's the red room party on the other end of this house that nobody knows about. At the same time, there's another party going on outside with children, hot dogs, pools, you know, barbecues, that kind of stuff, all American type party. You would never suspect that on the other side of this house is a, you know, the red room party. Red room and, party. And that's my understanding of, of Hollywood as well, that there's a lot of very normal people in it, if you want to call anyone normal there. But, you know, just they're just they're the boom operators and they're just the cameramen and they're just, you know, they're just there working jobs as extras, whatever. And just those, living guys their life. Not, those guys are not at these parties. This is I don't believe those are the guys. I don't think that your cameras and your audio. I don't I don't think guys from the crew are. At these. I, I think this is your creatives and your stockholders. I really do. I think yeah, it's the stockholders and, more than anything. Yeah, and the the question is 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 it, it's kind of like you you said that you just you it was more like a feeling you had of the evil. Yeah. And yes. I think that if you were if you were a, in Hollywood enough, you would you would 
you would have to sit so unless if you have totally tuned yourself out like numbed yourself you would have to go there's something very i can't put my finger on it but there's something very evil here so it's very dark and sinister eventually you're going to feel that there even as a normal person but it's only people who are like for whatever reason yah either allowed you to see that or they were trying to push you to the next level of saying, can Rick, uh, is he willing to be a part of this? And I don't think uh, the guy, no, I, I don't think the guy that got invited, they didn't know that the, I was, the, the, in all fairness, the guy that took me to the party did not tell them he was coming to get me or that I was being invited. I know, I know that I would, that wasn't a setup for me. He was invited to the other party. That other uh, party that was going on was a whole different group of people. I'm telling you, I think it was the husbands of the women and the children that were at that party that were going down that hall. That's what I believe. I still believe that. I don't think any of the women that were at that party were a part of that. None of the kids were in that. That was not something that they were, that, there were not kids in that room. There was not that, not even close. These were people that I believe that these people that had this house cared about those people. These are the kids that are not going to that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I don't even want to go down that road even but that there's kids involved. There's no kids involved. There were kids at that house. There were kids in that pool. There was only one kid in the house that I saw. And the reason why I only saw that one kid is just as I was going to the bathroom, and I had to go to the bathroom because this guy was talking to me forever. As I was going to go to that bathroom, a lady came in with a kid with the, with the little swimmies on running through the floor, and, and they went into that bathroom because some other kids were in the cabana house bathroom. And that now all of a sudden, I've got to go to the bathroom, and that's why the guy sent me down the hall to begin with, and that's how I saw the red room. It was because I went – the room the, – the hallway that I went down was this dark, can light hall, but the, like the lights were all dimmed, and as I got closer, that's when I could see the red – like the red light coming out and I could hear the music more. And I thought at first the music was like an overhead speaker. And then I realized, no, it's coming out of this room that I'm coming up on. And when I went past it, I saw, I'm like, did I just see a bunch of naked people doing a bunch of crazy stuff? Cause I was kind of walking fast. And I'm like, I know I saw it. And I was sitting there going to the bathroom going, what in the world is going on here? Wait a minute. And it, I, I'd never seen anything like that ever, never. And, and, and when I remember I was washing my hands and I remember looking at myself in the mirror going, Dude, where are you right now? What is going on? Who are these people? Who, what, what is going on? I just remember thinking, you got to get out of here. And I remember opening the door and I remember going down the hallway and I remember thinking of the movie, the, the, the song Hotel California was going through my head. <laughs> I remember thinking that the song, the lyrics, it's like, you know, welcome to the Hotel California. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh. And then when I, like I said, when I went past there again, I did take a look, like I, I did see that, like, no way. Everything in there was red. Everything in that room was red. Uh, the creepiest thing. So, but, but when we left, like the guy, when I told the guy what was going on, he went, what? He's like, he couldn't believe it. But we were sitting at the stop, stop sign at the bottom of the hill. Once we got down to the bottom of the hill, he was like, dude, we should go back. And that's when I was like, no, man. The last time I ever talked to that guy, I was like, nah, I think I'm just going to go ahead and get out of the car. And I got out on sunset. I think it was sunset. And I walked all the way down. I walked down to the, where the strip really was. And and uh, I went down there. And I think I went into either Red Rocks or uh, the comedy store and grabbed a Coke and called another buddy of mine. He came over and met me. And we hung out there for a little bit. It was, it was comedy store. We were hanging out behind the comedy store. And uh, we hung out there for a little bit until I went home. We went home. 
It was like, crazy. That's that was my real. That was that. You're right. You're right, though, Noel. That was one of the moments that after, because I'd already been out of radio, I'd already been looking at the at the city itself. I'd already been looking at the ocean. I'd already had some weird things happen to me out there, and uh, uh, and Shaka had warned me. She actually, I I owe a lot to Yvette Stevens. I owe a lot to Shaka Khan. Um, she's the one that told me to get out of LA. She's the one that said, get out of here. This place is going to chew you up and spit you out. And I had just some crazy, crazy adventures, uh, just close calls in the water to maybe close calls in the water. I don't know. But at the time I felt like they were close calls in the water to, you know, just doing stupid stuff. And, um, uh, when that happened, that's when it really hit me. I'm like, you know what? These people do not care about a whole lot. If they're going to do that kind of stuff in a room with each other, they're into some different kind of caring that I know. And like I said, it was so perverted and so perverse and like, I felt like it was evil. Like I felt like these people were like marionettes on a string and somebody else was controlling them. Uh, it was just the weirdest thing. So all I can tell you is, is the feeling I got from that. Plus the, the warnings to get out was, was I didn't, it didn't take much after that. I left. Well, like I said, it was clearly, you know, Yad allowed you to see that. That he allowed yeah. you to see that, so you knew that what you were truly in or about to get in, and you know that kind of stuff. But I, I will say really quickly, you, you, the guy you drove off, you got off at the stop sign and walked down the sunset. You said you never talked to that guy again, right? The guy no, in the car. No, no, no. See, uh, th see that's interesting because, no, because, uh, because, because, well, I mean, we didn't hang out again. We may have talked on the phone, but we didn't hang out again. And he was, he's the one, we should go back. And I'm like, no, man, no. Well, I, I, no. I brought that, I brought that up because you've told the story to me before and it was kind of, it was nice because I kind of like uncharged your memory there. Like I hadn't heard that before that little detail. So that was the first time I'd heard that. So tell me, tell us a little bit about that after hearing this really, you know, dark tale <laughs> and um, a horrible tale. Um, take us a little bit through your time, like on the Universal lot before moving forward. You said oh, you couldn't. Geez, you said you said you couldn't talk about some of it. So maybe there's well, something you you can talk about. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so, so my roommate, how I met my roommate was through the whole Rosie thing through Shaka because he was at Universal, and that whole group that went out, he and I met, and that's when I we realized, okay. Wow, we both, it was just crazy timing. He's like, he was looking for a roommate. I was looking for a place and I couldn't find any place I liked. And he had a house, not an apartment complex or a condo. And I was, I didn't want to live in an apartment or a condo. And uh, he had this cool job. He could go bird dog. He was, that's what his job was. His job was to find locations on the lot. Uh, he was the head of TV development. So if somebody called and said, hey, we're looking at, for a, a place to shoot a chase scene on foot, uh, needs to be, you know, on the lot somewhere, can you go find? That's who he would do, and he would see what it would take to do the shot. It would, you know, you're going to need this kind of lighting, you're going to need this kind of, you know, crane, you're going to need all this. So he was able to go anywhere he wanted to at any given time because all he had to say was, "So and so called me, and I'm going to find a location." So we would take golf carts out, and we would go into the like most remote areas of the the lot. We would have golf cart races, but we would go after hours when nobody was around. Nobody was around. So I've been in the water with the shark with jaws. I've been in that, not while it was running, but like swimming into that, in that lake that you'd go to on the tour. Uh, I've jumped off the platforms at water world uh, at night. And then the next day we're 
we realized that I, we, one of us, we could have really gotten hurt because there's a cable that was that ran down. We didn't know. We jumped off the wrong side, but hit the cable. It really got hurt bad, uh, decapitated or cut cut up really bad. Um, there was just so many, and that we did that all the time and never noticed it until one day we were looking like there's a cable right there. We'll never forget that. Um, so yes, of course we would have cocktails back then. We would we would go to Dalt's Bar and Grill and have a few cocktails and or get them to go and we would have these little coolers packed and we would go to universal and take buddies and have, you know, five, 10 golf carts, five golf carts out at a time. So up to 10 people uh, going out all over universal studios and hanging out and, and, you know, having cocktails and laughing and having a good time. Um, and sometimes it smelled funny too. I got to admit that it did. It smelled funny uh, back then uh, quite a bit actually. So uh, it was it was just one of those things where we had access to do things that nobody in there nobody nobody did nobody was doing what we were doing or we would have seen them and we were you know uh, we're hanging out at at uh, where the clock tower is at uh, for Back to the Future um, going into places in Jurassic Park uh, this was nightly we could go there anytime we wanted so we were literally on the on the set. Uh, there's a lake. There used to be a lake. I don't know if they still have it. There's like this lake where they filmed TLC's Waterfalls, where the girls are, looks like they're standing on water. It's where they filmed the Truman Show, I think, part of the Truman Show. Um, you know, we were there. Uh, the Great Outdoors. We were in that house. The Vessel of Ross in Texas. We were in that house. Uh, we used to go to the Bates Motel and sit outside in the parking lot and act like we were staying at the Bates Motel, just like joking, like because you felt like you were literally at a hotel. And then you walk around the corner and there's you know there's mother up in the window. And we used to go up, get inside the the barn, the 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 house, the scary house on the hill for uh, in California, was it held lawnmowers and weed eaters, if I remember correctly. It was really a barn. It, it looked like a house, but it was a barn. And the room that mother was in was this tiny little you know room, like two guys could get in there barely and maybe take a selfie with mother. And it was just a dummy. There was no face to it or anything. It was just this old chair sitting there, this d- dummy mannequin in this dirty little room. At the well, top technic- of the stairs. Technically, she was a, a skeleton anyway, so in the movie right, at least. Right, so. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like that scene was not filmed in that house, that room, that scene where it shows the mother or whatever. If it ever shows, I can't remember if it shows her face. But that wasn't even filmed there. That wasn't even filmed in that, that, that room. That was a whole different – that was on a set. So it was really weird to see all these things because it really made me realize the – the impact that Hollywood can have on us and realize how fake and faux the whole thing is. Even like where they, like where the Munsters house was, you realize it's not even a whole house. The only full house I think that was on the lot, a true full blown house was the house that was the best lower house in Texas. And that was like on a curve. And that was a full blown home. Like the rooms were all still intact. It was a full, full blown house. Um, and they filmed a lot of things there, not just that that movie, but that that particular home was, I think, the only full blown house at the time that I can remember. It was on a lot. Everything else was like the faux front, and then they had multiple uses in the back storage to, you know, just these small little fronts that looked like houses, and they weren't. Especially the westerns. But the park is different than the lot, you know, where they sh- where they shoot the movies was different than just Universal Studios, like where the backdraft thing is. I mean, they don't have sound stages. I don't think there's any sound stages that close to the park just because of sound itself. But um, uh, like the backdraft, uh, if I remember correctly, that was its own 
uh, little hangar. Same thing with Back to the Future ride. That was like a soundstage type building um, where you'd ride, I think you rode in a DeLorean, like four or five people wide. And it made it feel like you were, you know, you were in an IMAX theater type of setting with. Yeah, it was like, uh, it was like Star Tours, but in front of an IMAX screen. Yes, yes. And if you looked, if you like really stretched your neck out, looked, you'd see like 20 different cars or whatever, 10 cars lined up doing the exact same experience as you at the same time. It was crazy. But yeah, was it magical? Was it, you know, what did you get this, this really cool feeling? Yeah, of course, man. I was living the dream. I was living everything that everyone could ever imagine, like what you'd want to do. I had access to it. And, you know, EJ and I said this all the time when we were, when we were living there, it's like, people have no idea. Like we don't even know. There's no way we even realize what we've got. And the YouTube would have, would have been around by then. You guys, I would have never been a flat earther. Probably I would have never been woken up. And uh, we would have been probably guys that were on that first swing because we had access to everything. I had drive on to Warner. He had, he had drive on and backstage passes basically to everything VIP you could think of at Universal. And I mean everything. I mean, we could walk in, just grab a golf cart and go anywhere we wanted to go. Anywhere we wanted to go. Um, and we did. Like we were, we were there all the time. We did it. We did it all the time because we knew it's short lived. This is not going to last. This part of our lives is not going to last forever. And I, I kid you not, there's probably two, three times a week, especially in the summer, that we would go do that. You know, uh, and I got off the air at, at one o'clock in the morning and we were hanging out over at Universal over at the lot by one thirty, one forty five. As long as I got my production done, I could get out the door and be gone. And uh, and we did. We did it all the time because he didn't have to be in at work till like eleven o'clock in the morning. So it was like we were on the same schedule. So it was, it was great. It was great. Plus, we had a really cool little house. We had a, a three bedroom, two bath home in the valley in Reseda on Yolanda Avenue with this awesome pool. Uh, and it was close enough to the neighbor's house that I could run off of their roof and dive into our pool. Got that on video, actually. Um, just fun stuff. When I look back, it's like, you know, I lived, I lived a crazy, you're right, I did. I lived a kind of a crazy life. Um, a lot of, a lot of wild experiences. I mean, yeah, you, you know, and I look at it, you know, it's no big deal to me because I look, nobody, nobody's better than anybody, but I can understand maybe that's what happened is because I got into radio and it's like, you know, you, you, you have to it's just a, it's just a job. These people are just doing the same thing that you're doing. They're, they're singing all the time. You're the one that introducing all the records all the time. You're there every night. Back then radio jocks were the, the, the link to the stars, to the local people, to the local markets. You're the guy that's interviewing them for the people. You're the guy that's, you know, got their numbers. You're the guy that's, you know, hanging out with them, getting the pictures for the trade magazines before the internet. I mean, I was in radio when you were still using real to real for your phone calls. Um, not long after I was in radio, they started doing the digital machines. But before that, man, I was, I was old school radio. I was working carts, cart decks, reel to reel machines. And occasionally sometimes you'd have to break out the albums because you couldn't find, uh, the song you needed on a cart or on, uh, a cassette or CD. Now, so when you got see the last one is. so you got to see, you know, the superficial, end of Hollywood, how it was all fake. And then you saw some of the dark underpinnings. By the time 9-11 came along, you were still doing DJ work. And you were yes. in, you were on the East Coast then, I believe, if I recall. Was it? Yes, Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte, North Carolina. Yep. And um, and then, so with the, with time we have left, I and mean, we could cover a number of things, but what brought you 
back to yeah what what made you your i mean because you're 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 talking about how that if youtube were around uh when you were all in warner brothers lot universal lot djing that kind of stuff that you never would have come to the flat earth and so on and so forth probably probably not what was it what was it in your life that started bringing having you yearn uh for the truth because you're one of you're one of those guys whenever we talk on the phone you're always just you know always wanting to know like what am i looking into and you know and things that yeah, you're looking yeah, yeah. into and well first of all the seed was planted when i was a kid um my my grandpa and my grandma uh on my mom's side uh they both went to the depression and uh, my grandpa was also in world war ii he was overseas in world war ii uh, there were things that were talked about as a kid. There were hardships. There were things that uh, my mom's side uh, with my mom and papa, they literally came from very humble beginnings, like from the hollers of Kentucky. And um, they had to move north where there was work at the time um, prior to World War II even. And so when my grandpa went into World War II, uh, once he was um, in the fight and this and that, you know, he experienced so much that by the time that Vietnam came, and then of course I was born in 71, late 71, uh, by the time I turned 16, my grandpa had a lot to tell me. And he and we had one day to like find all this information out. And so um, everything that he told me at that particular time was the one time. But he was, my mama and my papa were always, always instrumental in their strong faith in, in God and Christ. And um, that was one thing that I, I could never uh, uh, take away. And uh, the, you know, like I said, the seeds were planted early on. Um, did I fall away from that? Yes, of course I did. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, uh, I was an adult male uh, by the time 1990 hit. So, you know, he, here we are, we're looking at this whole perspective of, you know, when did I come back to God? And what wasn't that I didn't come back to God. It's that I backslid. Um, even in LA, one of the things that I would say, I always said this on my radio shows. It's funny, you know, we talked about this called Hanging with Hummer. That was my radio moniker. That was my radio show, uh, Hanging with Hummer show, Hanging with Hummer. You know, that's how I'd say it. You know, it's 7.03, Hanging with Hummer, get ready. You know, 45 minutes of nonstop hits coming at you next. You know, and then going to commercials. And um, so when, when I look at this and I go, wow, this has been a journey. Um, I was the guy that thought, oh, I can get into radio and I can change it. I can make the world know Jesus and I can sneak Jesus in on the world. And I was, I was so naive. And little did I know is, no, man, you're getting poisoned slowly. You're backsliding slowly. Your faith. Uh, you know, I was I was the kid that went to church camp and took it serious when we were talking about Jesus. Uh, then I'd get home and I was the kid that was also, you know, probably saying cuss words, riding my bike down the railroad tracks with the kids, you know, uh, running around out on mini mountain back in the day. So when I look back, it's like, what happened with me? I started seeing the evil. I started seeing how real it was and how embedded it was, and how, how it controlled our culture, how the record labels were using the people through what Shaka had told me, through what I had heard from other uh, artists that I'd met through the years, uh, through how I saw how they would just um, go through artists that would be one hit wonders or people trying to make it. They would send these people out on these little tours and these people could hardly put food on their, on their, in their, in their bellies. If it wasn't for the label, finally paying for their food, but the people that got ripped off, I started seeing that, but seeing the, the lifestyle in Hollywood, 
seeing the actual um, way that things were done, even in New York. Uh, I went to the Grammys one year with Shaka. She played the opening. She did the opening with like Bonnie Raitt and a bunch of women of rock. Um, and they, they opened the Grammys one year. And that was the same year that when we were there in New York, I realized I'm like, man, these people are all about what do we have to offer? There's never like, Hey, how's your family? What's your, what was it like growing up? You know, what's your favorite things? There was never this connection, this, this touchability, this relatability. It was always just this, uh, you know, what can you do for us? Here's your money. Uh, just continue to do what you're doing. And as long as it was worldly, of course, there were opportunities. It's no joke. Um, I never had anybody come to me and say, hey, we got somebody that we want you to meet. Um, and it turns out to be the devil. And, and uh, you know, I was offered to sell my soul. Never had anything like that happen. Um, I Do I believe that people have had encounters with that? Well, if somebody says they've had an encounter like that and you've seen their life change and you saw what they were doing before, I would believe that person. I would believe that person did uh, get a chance to make a, a different decision and come to know the Lord. And as far as me coming to know the Lord and coming back to it, it was a domino effect, Noel. It was seeing things out there. It was my life. It was my own decisions. It was my own walk. It was my own um, uh, discoveries as far as what I was able to listen to and, and, and want to see. And I truly believe that me losing my dad uh, I was married once before I was actually married, um, when I lived in South Carolina, um, and I filed for divorce in my two year anniversary. I had hired a PI and caught some things while I was taking care of my dad. And, uh, it was, it was an awful experience. Everybody in my family knew I shouldn't have gotten married. Everybody tried to warn me. Uh, and the second day of my honeymoon, I was in Jamaica calling my sister at her work number. I'll never forget it. And I told her, I said, what have I done? And she went, oh, Ricky. And I could hear it in her voice. She's like, we try, I, you know, we wanted to tell you, we couldn't tell you. And it was just these, these mistakes that I had made for myself, not listening and not going into decisions prayerfully. It was almost like I finally hit rock bottom, losing my dad, watching my dad die, holding his hands while he died. And uh, going basically shortly thereafter, going through a really messy divorce when it didn't have to be at all. Uh, it cost me of getting my dad's farm. It cost a lot of things, and uh, but God had a plan in all of it, and every bit of it led to me meeting my wife, having these beautiful children, and having a life that I never thought that I was going to have. And I'm happy. I'm, you know, I've been able to do research. I've been able to help other people out with podcasts. I've been able to give my time. Uh, I'm doing the best that I can to raise my children, and every day I'm thankful that God has allowed me to take breaths in and breaths out. And, uh, and it's all because he paid a price and he came and he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And he's going to fulfill every bit of the prophecies, every bit of it. And someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and everything that's in me, everything that I've experienced. The reason why I'm alive today is because of him, because of, because of him being grace, grateful, uh, grateful, graceful enough to allow me to live that, that I'm grateful enough to appreciate it. And, uh, just, I can't, I could never uh, work my way into heaven by my own, by my own will, by my own actions. It's my reverence for God, my fear of the Lord that has changed me. And it was, it was within when I realized that you have to have a reverence for God, a reverence for the Lord, that I realized that all these decisions, all these things that I've experienced, even the fun stuff that was, you know, it didn't hurt anybody, but that was all related to being there so that the world had rewards. If, if I didn't work for a Viacom, if I didn't work or have a buddy that worked for Universal, 
we wouldn't be having those rewards of golf carts in the back lot of Universal. We wouldn't be hanging out inside of backdraft, you know, not know if the thing is going to go off or not. And where's the fire coming from? Just doing really dumb stuff. We shouldn't have been in certain places while things were active. Um, climbing up things. We shouldn't have done these things. Could have died in car accidents in LA. I bought drawn when I was four and a half years old. Uh, my dad saved my life, pulled me out of the bottom of the lake. Um, just all these little things that, that I've experienced. And usually I haven't had a witness. But the problem is most witnesses don't want to talk. And that's what, that's where, that's where this whole project is that I'm working on uh, outside the role. And is we, I really think that this all needs to be on record. It's much more important than a movie uh, considering that all these people are witnesses to things that I've experienced. And I'm nobody, man. I am a nobody. I am no different uh, than the next guy down the road. I mean, I'm no better than anybody. I'm the worst person I know because I don't know anybody like I know me. I know my own thoughts. I know how abusive I can be to myself. I know how I can grumble under my breath that I shouldn't be doing. I know there's times I use words I shouldn't be using. Um, you know, there's there's all kinds of things, thoughts, processes, uh, you know, hope. Uh, not surrendering to God. I mean, the, you name the list. I struggle just like anybody else. I struggle every day knowing Rob's gone. Rob, I miss Skiba so much. People don't even realize how much I miss that guy. How many times I wish in the last, you know, uh, almost it'll be two years in October. I just, you don't even know how many times I wish I could call this guy during the week going, got a question, dude. Uh, and I can't do that. Uh, it's just a really weird thing. And there's other friends that I've lost since then too. I've lost other friends after these COVID shots, guys that have taken shots. I've lost friends that way. And I think the biggest thing that anyone takes from all this is, yes, I've had this worldly life. It's been this fun thing. I've had Duke boys moments. I've had MacGyver moments. I've had A-team moments. I've had all these moments. Um, and I looked at the stars just like, I, like everybody else did when I was a kid, thinking I'm going to go to a galaxy far, far away someday. And, you know, in all of this and everything that I've learned, the biggest thing that I, I can see, especially in the days that we're in right now, the time that we're in right now, there's never been a more important time to have a relationship right with God, a relationship with Christ. And I know this whole conversation leading up to this was not about him at all. Um, but I, there's a reason why it, it has led to it now. It's because all of those things that I talked about, none of them would bring happiness. None of them would bring joy. None of them would bring an inner, uh, an inner peace. Uh, like God can, and knowing that he's got control of all this, there's nothing that's going to happen that he doesn't ordain. He is the one that ordains it. It has to go down this way. This is his story. No matter where we are on the clock, no matter where we go, the end result, the end goal that any of us should have, and I think I said this last time when we were on, is the, the, main, the main goal in all of this is that people understand that you are the soul. You're the soul. And you're going to spend eternity somewhere and you want to spend it with him. You want to spend it with the one that made all this possible, whether it's a millennial reign or whether it's not a millennial reign, it doesn't matter right now. What the main goal is, is know him because you, you can take your last breath at any given moment. One thing that I've seen in the last three years is how precious life is and how easily it can be taken away and quickly. And if it can, what what in the world does Universal Studios backlot have to do with anything? Nothing, nothing has absolutely no meaning in my life now. Nothing was it experiences? Yeah, were they cool? Were they fun? Yeah, could I've had the same amount of fun, uh, you know, out here on a four wheeler? Yeah, I could have had the same exact kind of fun. 
just a different location. So what the eyes were taking in and the aura of this place, the magnificent, you know, cinematic magic behind it that made it so cool that, you know, yes, would it have been cool for other people to have seen and enjoy? Yeah, it would have. It would have been really cool. Um, it would have been great for some of my buddies I grew up with out here to have experienced some of the stuff that I did. A couple of them got to do it, but, you know, when they came out to visit, but, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where we're going to take our last breath. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a lot of people sick and I'm seeing a lot, I've seen a lot of people die and I don't think that we've seen the last of it. And my biggest thing is, is that I want to, I want to be, I want to be welcomed into the kingdom. And I know that I've got plenty of work to do and I know that I could never work my way in, but I know that there's, there's a, uh, there's, there's plenty of force to yet to do. And maybe the Roland project is something that I need to do. Maybe this other project that we're talking about starting because it would be a quicker way of getting some things out and done uh, and cheaper and a lot easier uh, to produce. Uh, maybe that could help lead people. Maybe you, you're, all the work that you're doing, Noel, you're, you're giving people confirmation or giving people things to think about and look up and research so that they're not leaning into their own understanding and they can question all things and question the spirit behind all things. And, and you know, that's our job. That's our job here. Our job is, is not to uh, have all these worldly rewards. Now, can you, can you enjoy things of this world? Can you enjoy your family and your children? And, you know, can you, can you enjoy the things like your garden and, and, you know, can you enjoy your car? I think that's between you and God. I think that's between of, you know, where you're at in your walk. That's got nothing to do with me. It's not my job to, to judge that. My, my only thing is I hope people understand that in the time that we're in, the number one thing is if you can't look around and see that we've got, um, clock that seems to be going a lot faster now um, just get your relationship right with the lord get your relationship right with the one and only and and understand that and and um but also you know have have uh have worship with people get with other people sing songs to the lord do things with people um None of us have it down perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all figured out. None of us do. None of us can can sit here and go, I've got God's playbook. I've got it and I've got it memorized. Page 52 says this. None of us, none of us have his playbook memorized or are or, or done. The biggest thing is, is we just have to be ready and willing and we better be ready and perfectly covered before we take that last breath. And it could happen at any given moment. And that's my, that's kind of what Rob and I were talking about uh, at the end of that take on the world conferences, you know, one of the things that he said, is, he, I got to get back to my first love. I got to get back to know, loving the Lord for everything that we do have and, and being appreciative. I'm like, you're right, man. Because if we're, if we're so busy doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that, where's our real relationship at with God? Where's our time spent with him? Um, so ultimately start your day with him end your day with him and spend some time with him during the day. Spend your time, spend, spend time with them during the day, have that quiet time, have that conversation or listen time, listen time or prayer time or sp read scripture time. And I'm guilty of it. I'm just as guilty of it as the next person. And this is, you know, this show today may have been the whole reason that my words I'm saying right now are, are to be used to convict me for my own words. So, you know, it's cool to, to go back in time and look at all these things. And, and we didn't even talk about all the weird stuff that happened. No, uh, after, you know, even flat earth stuff happened, the things that started happening with me. Um, so, I mean, that, that we, I don't even know if it needs to be said because 
ultimately the, the, the biggest thing that everybody needs to hear is we've got to have a relationship with our, with our father. We've got to have a relationship with our Messiah. You know, we've got to have a relationship with the one that started all of this and who will finish all of this. And, uh, and how do we do that? And I really, truly believe it's in complete humility, complete humility, uh, not of the world, um, and really focused on the things that matter most. And that is what he would have us do and what would be his will for our lives. Um, and I'm glad and I'm thankful that I left Los Angeles. I'm glad and thankful that I left Charlotte. I'm glad and thankful that I left other places that I'd been before. And I'm glad that God used every experience I ever had to lead me to the to the path to connect to connect with my wife, to have the life and the experience that I'm having right now. And I'm I've never been at more peace, uh, even here in the last you know few months, um, just with everything. I'm at peace. Um, does it still bother me where we're at? Does it still concern me what could happen? with my family because we don't follow the protocols and all the nonsense of the of what the media tells us to do um i can't let that i can't dwell on it uh, i can only be as prepared as i can be you know um, i'm not going to go live on some island far far away from everybody and not be ready to to uh, serve the lord in some capacity i guess i just want to be prepared and i think spiritually preparedness is very essential right now because I think we've all been a little worn down a little bit in the last few years. That was an epic rant. <laughs> that was really, really good, uh, Rick. And I, I, you know, I could comment on so much of what you just said. Um, but you know, when you just finished there saying we were all worn down, I mean, that when when I look at like when I look at myself in the mirror, and then I see a mm -hmm. picture of myself just from like four or five years ago, I'm like, wow, like. <laughs> like it's like COVID, you know, when COVID, when COVID came, that was like, get into the trenches, you know, get mm -hmm. the machine gun, you know, we're at war, everything I was trained for, this is it. And, uh, it, it definitely, yeah, it wore a lot of us down, but that was oh, yeah. really good. I think that's what it all comes down to is it's not about me, man. It's about him. And I think all of our stories can connect somehow, just like you were talking about how we connected, you know, and certain things that I use to plant seeds for you to journey down this direction and that direction. You know, we're, we're constantly testing things, but I think we need in the middle, in the midst of finding out all this information, we better make sure that we're spending the time with, with him first, because it's really easy for us to go down avenues without his guidance. Um, sometimes our shoes can turn into rollerblades and we can go downhill and not realize that we're doing it and say, we all the way down. Uh, and we're, we're, we're going in the opposite direction. He, he would really want us to be going. And, and that is uh, our relationship. We got to focus more on him than anything. And I'm guilty of that. I am saying this is for me more than anybody else that's listening. But if it, if it uh, correlates to your life, great. If it means uh, hey, wow, I've been thinking this. Now I'm hearing Rick say it. Well, then use that as confirmation if so be it. Your ears just heard it. So, you know, um, I I would hope that if anybody's listening, no matter what your life has been like, no matter what it is, you're here right now. Tomorrow's a new day. How are you going to start your day? And I challenge each and every one of us, including myself, and hope that we're all encouraged that, hey, we're all still breathing. We're all still here. And there's nothing better than having time with my creator nothing better 
nothing better with having them with my Messiah and spending time and listening and being quiet and being still. And I, and I've been a motor mouth, so I apologize. No, that was, that was really good. And, uh, I don't even know where to go from there because that was so good. And I was thinking, you know, when you were talking about, uh, Skiba and the last time you get the last conversation you guys had together at take on the world and you had come on, uh, TUC, we did kind of like a, a podcast thing, and you we were talking about the mud flood, the Millennial Kingdom, that kind of stuff, and we were planning to do more. We were planning to, I was planning to bring you on, and then that happens, and it kind of just like, it was almost like, well, what now type of thing. It was, I was just thinking how much has changed. It's been like over two years since you've been on, and how much has changed just in the last two years, and all that we've yeah. been through, and, but it's, yeah. it's been, it's it's been great to have you on and uh, you know and I, I hope you you know realize that one of the reasons that i find your story so fascinating and you know going through this is you know we're not giving praise to you know hollywood culture or anything like that but here i have before me a man who was in it and you you went through it and you saw it and you came out and you know where you were one of the most instrumental, even from behind the scenes, you know, you, and as you said before, you don't have a YouTube channel, uh, but you were at the right place at the right time and instrumental with, with Skiba and huge influence on him. And um, to, to bring many, many people to, uh, to Yah. And um, so. Uh, that's, that's humbling. Well, yeah, well, that's one of the reasons that, you know, I, I'm so fascinated by your story and all that you've been through and, you know, the journey you've taken and your, 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 how you perceive the spiritual world uh, because of your experiences, you know, like we didn't even get into tonight, like the orbs you would see and different things like that, you know, these different, all these different experiences that, that leads you to you know where you're at now and how you think and that you know decisions you've made yeah. so yeah, um, yeah so it is it is after nine o'clock of east coast time right now and uh i i can't top that because that was such a good uh conclusion and um i thank you for coming on and um it, it we'll have okay. to try we'll have to try it again sometime we'll have to plan in the future maybe for good weather Maybe we could go do like a live um, Lake Michigan, uh, you know, test of Chicago. You just or need something. to come up. We need you need to come up in the fall or the spring when the, the air temperature and the water temperature are similar. Um, and the past two nights, though, uh, let me look out. Let me see if it cooled off. If the air cooled off enough, and it seems like the wind died down. But I don't know what was the deal with the haze. Uh, it's you know what I can go out here right now. Now, does everybody remember what it looked like earlier? With the haze, well, the the sun looked really. I mean, I could see the sun looked really hazy. Yeah. So now, it's kind of calmed down a little bit. It's still a little breezy. Man, it is chilly here. Ooh, I've got on shorts and a hoodie, and I'm chilled. It's been a weird summer so far. I'm not gonna lie. So now you can see. Remember, I said there's a house back here. That's a half a mile, and then the tree line is a mile and a half. Maybe they don't look the same. Maybe they maybe they're actually more grayed out now that I'm seeing them. No, I can see this tree line. They can see that line better now. That's a mile and a half away. That tree line back there, and then I I think I can see a little better. Yeah, there's a dark green line on the horizon line. Those are trees in the background through the through the fields. 
but earlier I don't think you could really see him. But it's got it's cleared up a little bit. But you still it's still hazy enough. You wouldn't see Chicago tonight. You wouldn't see it. I don't believe maybe infra- infrared you would maybe. But yeah. So, well, you know you have asked. What I've been doing I've been doing gardening, man. I've been putting in my garden, raising my kids, and putting in you know plants and trying to be prepared and being a good husband at the same time and coaching my kids and living life, man. Well, it, it, I'm going to say for the viewer real quick, and we're going to end this. We're going to wrap this up here real real quick, and then we can go to the after party and just kind of talk. Every single time I talk to Rick, he's always, like, working on his house. And he's, like, he's out, out like, like we're having this deep conversation. He's out, like, mowing the lawn or I don't know. I, he's got, like, clippers out or something or, like, weed whacker. I don't know. He's, but he's always, like, out doing stuff and working and um, yeah, or doing puppet stuff because that's what I do. I do puppet yeah. stuff for commercials for TV commercials now, um, which is kind of funny. So, oh, all right. Well, well, my uh, I need to take your invite and go up there one time. Uh, the last time I remember uh, take on the world that the what the last one that the Rob attended when he got yeah. sick. You guys all got sick. You really wanted me to come to that, and you asked me to like get a place with you, and we were gonna like you know Airbnb. stay there. Yeah, we're gonna Airbnb, Airbnb it, and I yeah, we're gonna Airbnb it, man. And I really consider it, and I I think back on that, like, man, what if you know, what if I had gone or whatever, you know? So I don't know. One of these times, uh, we'll have to I'll have to take you up on that offer and head up there, and uh, I want to visit you and Chris and Liz Bailey as well up there. So, uh, you know, they're anytime, bro. Got room for you. All got right. room for you. Come on up, and then you guys got an RV too, don't you? You guys, you guys travel in an RV at all? It's a fifth wheel, which is uh, it doesn't tr- it doesn't travel no. as well as an RV. So, um, RV would be much better for cross country trips. We usually just park it down in Florida. Um, but, anyways, um, is there anything else you wanted to add, Rick, before we officially close this tonight? No. If anybody has any questions or anything or whatever, I I mean, uh, I'm more than willing to answer anything that I possibly can. Um, I know we didn't do there. We didn't go through half the stuff that we've talked about before. Um, but all that stuff, like I said, I think maybe there's a reason why tonight, maybe the, the biggest thing is tonight is just so that you guys can understand. I've lived the life, done it, been there, done that grew up in a terrible environment as a kid. Um, part of the time, uh, that was something we didn't really tackle, which is good. Um, but I grew up like most kids in the seventies and eighties, you know, uh, it was a whole different culture and kids were running wild. Uh, and, but so were some of the parents, I'll leave it at that. Um, my dad was never that way. Um, my stepdad was kind of a wild guy, yahoo, uh, back in the day. And, uh, that was not a fun, fun time in my life. That I think is what really made me push me to become a class clown that made me easier for me to be in radio and easier. It's kind of weird how these things all go full circle. It's my point. So again, the last thing I can say is thank you for having me on and definitely, um, you know, um, just prayerfully we go prayerfully we go day by day one moment at a time and uh, one lesson at a time 